Today I'm going to be preaching out of John 17, right? John said, turn your Bibles to John 17. This is, uh, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. You know, you guys know about the high priest uh, in the nation of Israel. They were the high, they were the, you know, starting from Aaron, Moses' brother, and on down. Um, these were the men that uh, interceded, you know, they were the high priests, and they would intercede on behalf of the nation of Israel and the people of Israel. But with the coming of the new covenant, you know, Jesus came, he gave us his blood, and we have the new covenant. And under the new covenant, we have Jesus Christ as our high, high priest. He is our high priest, right? And right now, as we speak, there is a Jewish man sitting in heaven at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us, right? There is, he's a physical man, you know, like just like, you know, I just met D.K., the dude is jacked, right? I believe Jesus was pretty jacked, right? He's a carpenter, right? He's, he's, he's in heaven. He has a body, and he has a form, and he's sitting, and he's praying, and he's interceding for us, right? He is our high priest. And now, here in John 17, we see him pray this prayer, and this is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. It's not the longest prayer that Jesus ever did. He probably prayed a lot more. They say that sometimes he would pray all through the night. But this is the longest recorded prayer. And I believe that this is special because it's only found in the, in the book of John. And I believe that the book of John is a special book. You know, I love all the books in the Bible, but book of John is a very special book because it was a gospel that was written by one of Jesus's like closest disciples. Right? You know, the first three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, I think Matthew wrote the first Gospel. Um, he's, he was actually one of the 12 disciples. The other two weren't the disciples of, like, the original 12 disciples of Jesus. And so they didn't really see, like, the, the, the inter, like, inner circle activity of what Jesus did, right? These are recorded prayers. If you guys think that John, like, maybe thought this up and, like, hey, you know what? I think Jesus prayed this. I believe that Jesus prayed this out loud with his lips. And as he was praying these words out loud with his lips, Jesus was there to listen and remember and to record it to the best of his ability. Who believes that? Who believes that? I believe that all of these prayers, right, are not just like kind of like, you know, downloaded. I believe that men and women, like the men that wrote the, the, the Bible, uh, uh, the scriptures, were actually heard these prayers. And this is a prayer that Jesus actually prayed, right? And, and, and it's a long prayer. And, and I believe that, you know, we have this very like, special inside look and a view from a, 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 a apostle a disciple of jesus that he actually says like he is the disciple that jesus actually loved right and he was actually in the inner circle of christ you know it was, it was uh peter james and john there's like the the three guys that would follow jesus and jesus would invite them into certain parts of his ministry that he didn't take everybody else so he didn't take matthew and all the other other disciples but he took he took these three and I believe that this is a very, like an like a intimate look at Jesus right before he's about to go to the cross. Um, and this prayer, when you read it, it's actually broken up into three sections. He prays for himself in the first section. He prays for himself. He prays for, like, the calling that he's had in him and this relationship with the Father. And then he prays for the 12 disciples, or 12 minus 1, right, the 11, the, that, that, that he says that, you know, these are mine. These are the ones that you gave me, right? The 12 disciples are going to go out and evangelize the, to the rest of the world. And then the third part, he actually prays for you and me. He prays for the ones that will believe in the, in the gospel into the future, right? He's like, not only these, but the ones that will know me, like, going into the future, right? And that's talking about you and me. He, they, Jesus Christ, like, he did this thing, like, time travel thing, where he actually, like, 2,000 years ago, he prayed a prayer that we can have access to now, right? And, we can, and that's a powerful prayer. We have to understand. And, he's, and, and, and a lot of it, he's praying for the church, 
He's praying for the body. And the reason why I feel like, like I, was, I was praying about what to preach, and I, I, I remember when um, Susie was uh, preaching about building the, building the church, right, and just the, re, like the, the walls of Nehemiah. And, and, and as we build this church, we have to know, like, how we're going to build it and what's, in what spirit are we going to build this church, right? We can't just build it in the, in the, in the, with the concepts of man, right? Because if I built the church with my mentality and with my, it, it's going to be crazy, right? <laughs> right? It'll be all over the place, right? It might, it might seem like good on the surface, but we have to, we have to build a church being led by the, by the concepts that God gives us in his word. And so we're going to look at this, um, this, this it's, we're going to look at actually the whole chapter. Um, the whole chapter is a prayer that Jesus prays. And then I'm going to read it to you guys. Oh, yeah, I forgot I had this clicker. I've, never, I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted, like, I always see, like, a long time Marcus do it. He would hold it like this. He would hold his mic like this and hold it in the head. I'm like, oh, that looks so cool, man. I wish I could do that one day. <laughs> now I can do it. Oh, yes. Can you see it? Yes. I made this. If you can't read it, I'm sorry. It's, it's, I wrote it with really small lettering. I right? hope you guys can read that. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you, you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the works that you, have, you gave to me. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have with you before the world existed. I love it here, Jesus. Uh, talks about himself in the third person, right? He can do that because he's the son of God, right? right? If like if like JP came up to me and was like, JP is hungry, JP needs to eat, I'm gonna think less of him, right? But then but then Jesus can talk about himself in the third person, and he can do that because he's the son of God. And the crazy thing about it is Jesus always was, right? Think about that. He always was. We think that Jesus started as a baby. No, but Jesus, the Son of God, always was. Even before the creation of the world, even before the foundation of the world, right? He, like, we can't imagine it with our feeble mind, but he always was. And because he was always in the world, here's the important part. He was always in relationship. He was always in relationship, in unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And they were together in the glory always and forever, right? This is a very important part. This is a very important part of this prayer. And in his life... He says that he did everything for the Father. As even in his ministry on earth, he was connected with the Father, right? Although he was separated because, you know, he was in heaven and he was here on earth, he had this connection with the Father. And he said he did everything to glorify the Father, right? And he says the, the eternal life that we have, right, he did it to glorify the Father. So I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then Jesus here does something that, as I read this over and over again, it kind of blew me away, is that he defines eternal life for us. Right? But in human beings, right, with our feeble minds and just like our inability to like realize what things is, we look at eternal life, we look at uh, eternal life as a construct of time. We think that it's going to be a really, 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 really long time, right? Like forever that we can't even imagine. But Jesus here does this thing where he, he, he defines eternal life as a relationship you guys see it he defines eternal life as a relationship it says and this is eternal life that they know you the one the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent i forgot to do the clicker sorry right this is eternal life 
that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is God, Jesus defining eternal life for us. And he defines it in a form of a relationship, not as a construct of time. And I want to start off my sermon today by stating that in the kingdom of God, relationship is of, of, is of paramount importance. God is all about relationship because even before God did anything about the world, there was relationship. He was all about relationship. He's not so much about function, right? No, God is a God that has everything. He can do anything. There's nothing that he can do, right? He's like, there, there's, he has everything. He can't do everything. He needs nothing, right? He's independent. Remember that song by Destiny's Child, Independent Woman, right? Oh, I don't know. I, I kind of know. I don't want to sing it. But he's an independent God. He needs nothing from us. If you think that you have something to give to God that he doesn't have, you're tripping, right? There's nothing that I can do. So I'm, sometimes I think of my, my relationship with God in this way. It's like, God, like, man, I, I, like, I want to do this for you. And like, oh, like we think of God as like a, a human being that need for, needs us to do something for him. But there's nothing that God needs from us. There's nothing. You not sinning doesn't make sense to God, right? It's like, it, it means nothing to God, right? You like thinking that you can like, you know, do all of these things. And I know that going on missions is really good. But if you think that you can do anything for God that he needs from you, that there, there's nothing. He doesn't need anything from us. However, he desires relationship. You guys see the difference there? Right? That's why relationship in the kingdom of God is so important. God created man for relationship, and what we do as a function to him has to start first start from a place of relationship. God created man, right? He created me. He didn't create me to do something for him. He created me to be me in relationship with him. And Jesus here is praying about <laughs> something in my mouth, sorry. Praying about the he's praying about the blueprint of all relationship. What Jesus did for the Father was a product of their relationship. Jesus came to earth to die on the cross for us because he loved us so much. But it was actually a product of the relationship that he had with the Father. The union between the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, he's affirming this relationship. He's, He's saying, oh, this is very important to me. They were in relationships. So God never had to invent relationship. He never had to be like, oh, you know what would be a good idea? If like Susie was friends with Emily, uh, yeah, that'd be great. If you know it would be a great day, if Mina uh, married Caleb. No, he didn't have to invent it because he all, the relationship and connection and oneness always existed in the Trinity. They were in relationship. And it's very important in the kingdom of God. It's more important than function and anything that we can do for him. Now, when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he didn't tell us to go and build a bunch of churches, right? What did he say? He told us to, to go and make relationships. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? He didn't say, go and build a church so that people can come, right? No, he said, go and make disciples. Right? We have to really see that even church, right, is not about a building. It's not about anything. It's about relationships. It's about being connected with one another, just like Jesus Christ and the Father were connected as one, just like the Holy Spirit and Jesus, like Jesus was able to do these amazing things because he was, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is pointing out how important the relationship with his Father truly 
was. I hope it's the right one. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So he's about to go to the cross. He's like, God, like, glorify me. I know that you're going to do this. When I, when I die, you're going to glorify me. And I'm going to be able to experience what I experienced before the world even began. You and me together as one. Like, like you know, like we, the oneness that we experience. He's saying how important that is. How, how precious that it was for Jesus. Before the world existed, there was a relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this togetherness, this oneness, this unity is important because after this, Jesus prays for his disciples. Right? It says, I have manifested to me, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Father, keep them in your name. Which you have given them. Given me that they may be one, even as we are one. As Jesus is ending his earthly ministry, he knows that he's about to get arrested. He knows that he's about to go to the cross. And Jesus prays to God. Jesus prays to the Father, and he prays that his disciples will be one, that they'll be united, that there will be oneness. Just like him and the Father were one in heaven, he's saying, Lord, help them to be one. Jesus knows that the oneness that him and the Father and the Spirit shared in the Trinity is we have is something that we need to have to fulfill our calling upon this earth. It's something that the people of God need desperately. And so Jesus continues his prayer. He says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the sons of the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, they are not of the world, just, I, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, as you sent me into the world, so that I have sent them into the world. And, and for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the important part. The glory that I have given, that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, as, even as you love me. I'm just going to finish the prayer. It says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, 
may be with me where I am to see the glory that you have given me because you loved me because of the foundation of the before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and ask and, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them as I in them. And, and I in them. Um, Jesus says that we're supposed to be in the world, right? We're supposed to be in the world. He's saying, like, I don't want to take them out of the world. They're so, we're actually supposed to be in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world, right? We're not supposed to be of the world. But it doesn't mean that we, like, exclude ourselves from the things of the world, but we remain part of this world, but we, we are no longer of the world. And the one thing that Jesus talks about is that one of the powerful things that we as the followers of Jesus that we're supposed to have to make us shine, to make the world know that Jesus Christ himself has sent us is the unity that we have with God and the unity that we have with each other. It's the oneness that we have to find in this community. It's the oneness that we have to find as Christians throughout the world. And, and, and Jesus says that as, as we are one, the world will see that Jesus Christ has sent us. And the relationship that unites us is covenant. It's covenant. We, we are united with God through covenant, and we are supposed to be united with each other as a body of Christ through covenant. You know, our unity is very important. And, I, you know, when, G, when Susie was, was preaching about, you know, building up the body of Christ, you know, building up the church, you know, building these walls, and, 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 and I felt like, hey, like we have to understand that as we build, we have to be one. We have to be one. This is Jesus. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die, and he's about to resurrect, and he's about to go to heaven. He's no longer going to be with his disciples. And Jesus is saying, Father, Help them to be one. Right? Unite them because there's power in unity. There's power in us being together. There's power in us being connected with one another. Now, before I go on with my sermon, I have to, t- I have to make something very clear. Unity is not conformity. Right? The oneness or the unity Jesus is talking about is not conformity. God doesn't want us all to be the same. God doesn't want all churches to look the same. Right? He's all about diversity. Look at all the animals, right? all of the monkeys and all of the different animals, the insects, the birds, the fish, the little creepy, creepy things that crawl around there. They're all different, right? Like we're all the, the way that God made you and me. Right? No two of us is exactly the same since the beginning of time, right there, of, of human, like we, since we were born from Adam and Eve, the, no one, there's only been one Caleb Lee, right? There's only been one Susie Park, right? There's some, there might be somebody that looked like me. I know some of you guys think I look like Kim Jong Un. <laughs> I am not him, right? Right? But there's only one. That's the diversity of God, right? Creation shows the diversity of God. And if you think that there's a lot of animals, you know, now, think about all of the animals that existed before, you know, man started killing everything, right? So diverse. If I went to one time, I went to Cebu for a vacation, and we went to this, they had, there's a man-made coral reef there in one of the hotels. And I went under there. It was weird because the first hotel when we went to, the, it was just like, I saw one fish, right? I saw one fish, and I was like, oh, I, I followed that fish around, you know, <laughs> with Ethan. 
And then the second, we, we moved to a better hotel for the, the, the next leg of the trip. And then we went to the beach, and we already saw the fish just, like, swimming by on the beach. And then we swam out, and I, I, I'm telling you, I saw, like, 100, like, 200 different kinds of fish. They were just everywhere. They were, like, come up into my swimming trunks. And there's, there's just, it was amazing. I, I got so excited. I was like, I only saw one fish over there. It's just right next door. And I saw this, like, it felt like a billion, like, different looking kinds of fish under the sea. And just a small section of what God created in the diversity of creation, right? And how we're all different. It, it, the diversity of God points to God's abilities and God's power. Right? God can make each and every one of us different. It's because he is God, right? It's his ability. No, man, we can make a bunch of robots that can do the same thing. Only God can make each and every one of us different. So God loves diversity. If you think God, like, like I remember uh, Kea, that's your name, right? When I asked her what nationality she was, and she gave me like eight different nationalities. And I was like, dang, right? Like, like ethnicities, right? That's like, 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 she's like French and Hawaiian, like, oh, right? That, like God loves diversity. Like God loves it. When we are diverse and we're different, because He can love each and every one of us individually, and only God can do that. And we see diversity in the way that God made man and woman. Right? We're very different. Mina and I are completely different, and yet God expects us to be one. There's expectations that like you're going to be one. You're going to be united. Right? We talked about this at the the couples retreat. Right? God made man and woman very different on purpose. Because if God made man and woman exactly the same, we would not need one another. Right? I can just exist, you know. I don't need another Mina when she's exactly like me. I can nothing, you know. He, God makes us diverse. God makes us different because he wants us to be one. God doesn't want conformity. He wants unity. As a matter of fact, conformity is a form of disunity. We conform so that we can separate ourselves from others. We are all the same here, right? We're not like you guys, so we're going to just conform, and we're going to make sure that you guys understand that we're different over here, right? Conformity is a form of disunity. And as human beings, we have an innate propensity to, to, to uh, conform and separate. Conform and separate, right? If you want to see an example of this, look at any high school. Or the movie Mean Girls, right? Right? Everybody conform and separate. We're the popular kids, right? We dress well. We're good at sports. So we're going to separate ourselves out and we're going to just hang out with each other. We're the stoners. We're cool. We do drugs. So we're going to separate ourselves and just hang out with each other. We're Korean. We like Norebang. You know, we like we drive Acura Integras that are dropped. You know, we're just gonna hang out with one another, right? That's all of what we do as a man. There is an innate propensity in us. There's like this thing that's actually built into us that actually, in our fleshiness, we conform and we separate. It makes us feel comfortable. We conform and we separate. And that sounds silly, but that's what's, what's happening around the world today. It's happening in our government. You see, in America, there's such a great disconnect between the people, right? Even amongst Christians, there's such a huge disconnect, you know? And, and, and we see it, like, all around. And it's, it's, it's not just, you know, secular culture, but it's in the church as well. The church is no better. The church is awesome at conforming and separating. 
dividing. My mom's church, right? She's been through two church splits in like the, in the last 10 years, and she's there about to go through another church split, right? They're trying to pick. Do we go with the deacon? Do we go with the elders? Or do we go with the pastor? Like trying to decide. They're about to split. Now, you guys heard of the praise wars of the late 20th centuries, right? Who's heard of the praise wars of the late 20th centuries, right? There was, there was these people that thought that God only can be praised through hymns, right? And I think uh, you did a hymn today, right? They thought the only way, and if, he, if there was a guitar, like an electric guitar, that's the devil, right? They needed organs, right? And all of a sudden, these young people came up and was like, wait, well, hey, I think if Jesus had an electric guitar, he'd get down. And then they wanted to like get, you know, the rock music coming on. They wanted to start singing. And then all of a sudden, churches would split over this. They're like, that's the devil's music. And it's like, oh, you guys are old and you guys are old-fashioned and we don't want to do that anymore. And people would start to split. And they would conform and they would, they would separate. Denominations, right? I don't condemn denominations. I'm not here to condemn. There's a lot of good that came from denominations, right? A lot of good things came from denominations. And I believe that there should be different churches for different people. But we have to also call it for what it is. A lot of the sentiment behind denomination, the motto of denominations is this. I don't know if you can read it, right? It's all about this is us, right? This is us. We do it this way, right? I don't know this show. My wife loves this show, but I don't really know. I just like the name. This is us, right? We like to do it this way, and it's the best way, right? It's the fleshiness in man. Pride. We all, we all start to conform. Like, like, like the way that we do things are, is right, you know? You have to do it this way. And, and, and it, we make it all about ourselves. And now we're going to start separating because they do things differently and we do it. And even, even the weird denomination, we're going to split because, you know, they like to do it this way and we like to do it this way. Do you think that when Jesus was praying this prayer, he was talking about, he was envisioning denominations. There's nothing in the word of God that talks about denominations. Right? You know, it's a man-made thing. Man created denomination. Man created separation. And at the end of the day, it's a man-made construct, right? And I'm not trying to get rid of denominations, right? Just the, 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 the divisive way in which some people use denominations, right? That's a, you know, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with denominations, but people have to start getting it right. And they have to stop being so divisive with the way that they see denominations, right? The, the, the way that they see their distinctiveness. Our church used to be very like that. We were very so New Philly-centric, right? The army of Jesus, we're like, no one, we, we're the best, right? Like, like, we have to break out of that. We have to realize that God chooses to encounter people differently. Some people he chooses to encounter, you know, like very conservatively. Some people he chooses to encounter like on the floor. <laughs> right? And yet, we have to understand that God is God and he wants to encounter us. Right? If, if the only way that he's going to encounter these people is in a, in a church that only sings hymns, that's God's way. And if God wants to encounter some people because, you know, they're very emotional and they want to wave flags around. IHOP people. I know you guys. right? I love IHOP, right? They want to wave flags around. God's going to do that as well. But we have to understand that we serve one God, right? Yeah. Do you think that Jesus was talking, thinking about church splits when he was praying this prayer or a bunch of people together that are all carbon copies of one another? And when they see other churches doing something dif- differently, they're like, oh, how dare they, right? You know, just judgment, like, oh, flags. 
New Age. This title, oneness. Some people are like, that's prayer. Right? Do you think that that's what Jesus envisioned as he was praying this prayer? We have to understand that human conformity brings division. The Bible has some of the harshest criticism towards people that bring division. In Titus 3, it says, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned, right? And does that mean that when Susie starts preaching heresy, if she she starts preaching heresy, that we, we just go along with it for the sake of unity, right? No. We use common sense, right? We have to use common sense. We have to know the Bible. We have to know the Word of God. We have to be like the Bereans. What happened? <laughs> All right. We have to be like the Bereans. And the Bereans in Acts 17 11 says, These were more fair minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word of God with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. We can't just go along with anything. At the same time, we have to be very careful about how we criticize Christians. Right? There's a lot of people out there that are just calling people heretics. They're heretics. They're a false teacher. Just out of, like, I, was, I was watching a Stephen Furtick sermon one time, right? He was preaching, and I was, like, I, like, I was watching. I was like, oh, this is a really good sermon, right? And then, you know, on YouTube, on the right, there's like suggestions that you should watch. Well, there was a suggestion for the same sermon, but it said the, on the bottom it said, Stephen Furtick preaching heresy. And I said, my word, what's going on here, right? So I click on that, and it's the same sermon, right? But at the bottom of it, there's all these people like, did you hear that? Did you hear him say that? Like, that's heresy. And I was like, that's not heresy. They just might like look at certain things differently than you. They might accentuate different points, but he's not preaching heresy, right? Well, there are people that are so enemies, like he's like, like, you know, like he's a false teacher, right? He needs to be condemned. And I was like, I just wanted to say something, but then I I couldn't log. You know, you have to log on to YouTube to leave a comment. (laughs) I didn't know my password, so I'd be like, oh, forget it, right? But then I, I was so shocked that all these people, and these were like, you know, these were just regular people, and they were calling him out as a heretic. He's a false teacher. And what I heard was a perfectly good sermon. And there were some people, like, on the post that said, like, oh, he's a heretic. This lady was like, oh, thank you for sharing this sermon. It really blessed me immensely. <laughs> and, you know, the people are like, ah, oh, you just don't get it. We have to be aware. We have to be very conscious of the way that we criticize or even we look, because we don't know their fate. We don't know their intentions. We don't know their heart. We don't know their mentality. We don't know where, what they've been through. And so we have to be very careful. We have to look at people. and We have to look by the Spirit of God. Paul tells in Corinthians, the church, in 1 Corinthians 1.10. It says, it, it says, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers... I appeal, oh, thank you. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there is no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Right? Now, he's not talking about conformity here. The same mind, the, the like-mindedness that he's talking about is for us to not point out how different we are, but to seek more to find how much we agree upon. 
Because this is happening, like he's saying, like, you guys have to find common ground. Because this is happening when a, a bunch of the Corinthians were arguing. You're like, well, some of you guys say you follow, like, like Paul. Some of you guys say you follow Apollos. Some of you guys say you follow Peter, right? But then Paul points them out. He's like, hey, Jesus Christ didn't send me out to baptize people, but he to- sent me out to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, like, the, the foundation, the common goal that we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul points it out. He's saying, like, you guys may be different. You guys might think differently. You guys might have, like, you know, but then at the same time, we have to try to figure out, like, like not, not so much of how different we are from each other, but we have to try to find common ground on how similar we are, how alike we are. So this oneness is not about conformity or uniformity where we all act and do everything the same. And if they don't, we like look at them and they're like, they're wrong, right? That church is wrong. You know, they're not worshiping God the right way. But we have, we have to really try to seek and find out how we are uni- united, how we are connected. So we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be unique. And that's good because that means we can disagree without hating each other. We can have an argument. We can, we can say, oh, yeah, you think differently. I mean, we might not agree, but we can still do what Jesus Christ called us to do. The number one commandment, which is to love one another. It says love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And that's one of the goals of the love of God. We're all different. God made all of us different. But we're supposed to find our commonality in Him. Right? We're all different. But we're all same and we're all united in Him. We're all different. We're all unique. We come from different walks of life. We come from different cultures. We come from different backgrounds. No one, no one of us is exactly alike. And yet we have a oneness that is within us that transcends this world. It transcends the worldly wisdom of this world. It transcends like, like anything that man can create. Because what makes us one, the unity that we have is, it has nothing to do with an idea. It doesn't have anything to do with a bunch of rules or anything. But it has everything to do with a person. The unity that we have, it comes from a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's currently seated in heaven. He's interceding for us. He's like, Lord, Father, help them to be one. And so how do we do this? All right. First, I mentioned that our focus has to be Jesus. Right? We all need to be focused on Jesus. We all have to have our eyes and our hearts focused on him because we can't do this based on our own abilities, right? We can't do it on our own. We can't try to find unity in the church. Like, hey, let's all have a group hug. Let's all get together and have a huge group hug and try to find unity in this place. At the end of the day, you know, we're just going to have a bunch of sweaty people. Right? <laughs> I'm really sweaty. You don't want to be next to me, man. I asked him for a fan for a reason. So how do we do this? How do we become one? Because Jesus is praying for us in heaven that we become one, right? That you're united. Well, the first thing that we have to keep in mind is that we are united in the spirit. Unity is not something that can be produced on our own, but it's through the spirit. Ephesians 4.3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your, your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of, over, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We have to keep in mind that as children of God, we all have the Spirit of God in us. We have Holy Spirit in us. 
And he leads us and he guides us and he, he, he takes us to the place where we follow the perfect will of God. And Paul is telling us here in Ephesians that as we are led by the Spirit, we are united in the unity that comes from the Spirit of God. Because he's all in all of us, right? He's in all of us and we don't have a separate Holy Spirit, right? It doesn't mean, it's not like, like, like Susie has a, has a one Holy Spirit and I have a Holy Spirit. Susie's Holy Spirit is a little bit smaller than my Holy Spirit, you know? Or like, you know, that's not it. We all have the same Holy Spirit. He is able to exist in all of us. And He unites us because He has a common purpose. He, it, he is God. And He's like, hey, like, I want to unite you guys and I want you to be one. I've seen many people argue about theological things, argue about the Bible. And you know what I've rarely experienced in this kind of atmosphere? The presence of the Holy Spirit. I've never been in an argument between Bibles and like whatever and be like, oh, I feel the Spirit of God here. (laughs) Oh, man, keep arguing, dude. That's awesome. The Holy Spirit wants to unite us. There is a unity and a peace that comes from the Holy Spirit, right? And if we're being led, if we're all being led by the Holy Spirit, if we're looking to the Holy Spirit to guide us and shape us and mold us and make us who God wants us to be, we're all going to start to be, we're all going to start to look around like, hey, we're like, we're like on the same page here, right? Because it's, it's a supernatural thing. Holy Spirit is leading us. We all have a common disposition and it's the Holy Spirit in us, communing in us, being, you know, being led by the Spirit of God. You guys have, he, he's real, Holy Spirit is real, and He is in you. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is pointing out and revealing Jesus. It says, John 15, 27, I don't think he's up here. It says, but when the Helper comes, whom I, sent, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. Other versions say, He will testify about me. And so he is in us and he's constantly testifying to us about Jesus Christ. He's constantly pointing to us like, this is Jesus Christ. That's Jesus. He, Lord, he, that's, the, that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. It's to continually to reveal in us a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he's in us and he unites us and he brings us together with a common goal. And that goal is Jesus Christ, hope of glory. When we're, when we're being led by the Spirit of God, He's going he's gonna to lead us, right? He, the fruit of the Spirit starts to grow in us, and we start becoming like Jesus. And all of a sudden, we look to our right, and we're like, hey, there's another person, and he's like Jesus. And we look to our left, and it's like, hey, there's another person, and this person's like Jesus. And as we start to come together, we're like, hey, there's a unity amongst us that's not man-made. It doesn't come from us trying to be good people, moral people. Trying to do what's right. It comes from a supernatural connectivity that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. It says that he's going to do far more greater than anything that the power of God at work in us. Right, The power of God at work in us is the Holy Spirit. And as he works in us, he brings us together. And the next, we have to realize that we're united in the word. Jesus said that eternal life is to know God and Jesus. We know him through his word. Right? Ephesians 4.13. Oh, no. Ephesians 4.13. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
and our knowledge of the Son of God comes from His Word. Right? The Word of God unites us. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is also to reveal truth to us. John sixteen thirteen says, When the Spirit comes, when the Spirit come, of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And the truth of God comes from the Word of God. The more of the Bible that is in us, the more we learn to stand on the truth of God. And we will see ourselves standing with other people on the Word of God. The Word of God is given to us not to, is to bring us together and not to tear us apart. But so many times, the Word of God starts to tear us apart, right? It was given to us to unite us as one. But man, in our fleshliness, in our pride, in our arrogance, we start to use the Word of God to, to divide, to separate. But you, the Word of God was never meant to, to be read like a regular book, right? The Word of God was never meant to be read like a regular book, and it was never meant to be read alone, but it was meant to be read and ingested by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we read the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's Holy Spirit that leads us into His Word. The Word of God is living and active, not because like, there's some kind of fungus in here that like, makes it to like, live. It's living and active because the Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth and the living Word of God as we read the Word. Right? And it's supposed to transform us. Yeah, you know, you, have, you can have all of the head knowledge of the Bible in the world, but it's useless unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you live out the Word of God. This, this, this is meant to be lived, right? If you think that the Bible is just meant to be read and memorized, you, you're, like, you're like getting like a small portion of what God actually wants you, what He wants for you for the Word of God. The Word of God is meant to be lived, right? It's information when it's read and stored, Right? Anything can do that. Like a hard drive can do that, right? A USB keychain can do that. But it becomes truth when you read it, you ingest it, and then you live the Word of God. You start to walk out in the truth, right? As you live the Word of God, it becomes truth in you. And let me tell you, when you have a body of believers that don't just have the Word of God as information in their head... Just knowledge in their head. But you have a a body of believers that have the word of God. That know the truth. And they start to live out the truth in their lives. They're going to all be headed in the same direction. They're going to be united. There's going to be a oneness among them. We're united in the truth. I guarantee you that when you have people that don't just look to the Bible to out disprove somebody. But they look to the Bible to live it out in their lives. Right? That's going to create unity in our lives. And then lastly, we're united in... No, second to last, the, the next point is we're united in love. And I should have started with this because, because without love, any unity that you might have is worthless. Right? We're a bunch of gongs. Right? Corinthians says that we're like a resounding gong right? without love. And the greatest commandment that God gives us that encompasses all of the Old Testament law and all the prophets is to love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love, love one another as yourself, right? And the greatest glue that will keep us sticky and together as one is love. Not our love, right? Not whatever we can produce on our own, but the God's amazing and immense love for us. As we receive His love, His great love through the gospel, and as we ingest it and we start to understand how, how amazingly God loves us, 
through the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it becomes truth in you, you're able to start loving one another, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a ticket to heaven. Who thinks that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a ticket to heaven? Who thinks that, hey, I have the gospel in my pocket and I can, I can just go along with my day because I'm going to heaven. If you think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a ticket to heaven, you might be actually one of those people that's going to stand in judgment. And you'd be like, God, like I did all these things in your name. And he would be like, I did not know you. Right? You have to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is supposed to be a seed. You know what a seed is, right? A seed starts out like a tiny little piece of, you know, like looks like a piece of rock or whatever, but it actually grows into a tree, right? The gospel is supposed to grow in us. It's supposed to be greater than us. It's supposed to be in us and expand. And, and, and with the love of God, when we truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God that he actually loves us so much, we're gonna, it's going to start to grow and expand in us, and we're going to be able to walk, start walking in love. One of the most important responsibilities for the kingdom of God is for us to love. The Great Commission fails if we do not love. It's all about love, right? But let me tell you, who thinks it's easy to love? Anybody in here thinks it's easy to love, Susie? Yeah, I bet you do, right? (laughs) Loving is hard, right? Loving is hard. Loving is one of the hardest things that you will do in your life, right? It's easy to love somebody when you're just in a fresh relationship with them. You're just like, oh, you start started dating. You're like, oh, I love you. I'll wake up in all hours of the night to go buy you ice cream, right? I did that, you know, when we were dating Mina. Like, ah, no, I don't care. I, I love you. It, but then when, when things get hard, it's hard to love. And especially when people hate you. You know, the Bible is telling you, when people hate you, when people say all these horrible things about you, and God is saying like, hey, you're supposed to love them. You're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to still love the ones that persecute you, right? How do you do that, right? And one of the things I want to tell you today is that love is not a feeling. Because if love was a feeling, I would suck. (laughs) I would be horrible, right? But there's times where I just don't have love in my heart. I don't feel it. It's not that I don't have love in my heart. I just don't feel it, right? I just don't feel love. We had this birthday party for Ezra, and there was one of these kids came. And then, like, I went, we have an upstairs playroom for the kids. And I went up there, and Ethan's like, like, Dad, he threw, he, he has this big Hulk toy. And he's like, he threw this Hulk toy at me. And I looked at him, and I was like, what, what happened? What did you do? And he's like, nothing. I didn't hit him back. And I was like, oh, you did a great job. Right? But then I looked at the kid, and I was like, hey, th- I didn't feel no love, right? <laughs> I looked at him, and I was like, get out of my house, little, you know? But so what are we supposed to do in this situation? What are you supposed to do when, when your coworker is talking smack about you? What are you supposed to do when, when like, like your mother-in-law is talking smack about you? What are you like my mother-in-law used to hate me to death, right? She's, she, used to, she used to loathe me, right? We, we, we're good now. But it was hard, right? What do you do when people are treat you really horribly? When when people are like like you know like they're slandering you, right? You know when that when that guy steals your girlfriend. You know what do you do? How do you love when you don't feel it? And the thing is, love isn't actually a feeling. It comes with feelings, but love is action. Jesus Christ loved us. He didn't just stay up in heaven playing. Oh, I have love for Ethan. I have love for Caleb. No, he came down to earth and he did something about it. If you look in 1 Corinthians, love is what? A feeling? No, love is all these things. I think I have it up here. Yeah, love is all these things, and these are all things that we can do. 
This is all action. I can be patient. I can be kind. I can, I can not envy. You know, I don't have to boast. I, can't, I can be not arrogant. I can be not rude. These are things that we can do. And so, so when we love one another, I'm telling you, sometimes even in church, and sometimes especially in church, it's going to be hard to do this. Right? And how do we, how we're supposed to be doing it? Instead of when we don't feel it in our hearts, we start to walk in love. We start to take steps in love. Somebody says, Caleb, you're a horrible preacher, and I think you suck. And I'd be like, all right, but I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm going to choose to remain calm. I'm going to choose to act civil. I'm going to choose to be kind to this man, right? That's how we walk in love. And as we continue to do that, God's Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit starts to grow inside of you. And all of a sudden, that starts to become easier to do. Right? Easier to do. Easier to do. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves continually walking in love. We're continually being led by the Spirit of God. The love that we're supposed to have for the people around us, we're supposed to walk in these steps we're not supposed to feel it, right? This is one thing that I want to make clear for you guys. Right? Don't feel bad if somebody treats you really bad and you just can't muster up that feeling inside your heart. But it doesn't mean that you, can't, you don't have to react. You can respond from a place of love. Right? Receives the love and respond from a place of love. And as we become a body that, that receives the love of God and the acceptance from our God, and then we start to walk out in love and faith, you know, like we start to live life where we're actually love is an action and not just a feeling, right? When we're on the subway and it's not just a feeling that I'm supposed to have forever, but it's an action that I can take. When we, when we see somebody in need, we help them. When we see somebody that's grieving, we go and we pray for them. When we see somebody that, that, that hates us, but we still respond in kindness. We still respond in gentleness. You know, and we're still like respond to them from a place of the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. I'm telling you. We're gonna, the people are going to look at Christians and be like, hey, right, I, I, I think the person that sent them is real. Because that, that's what Jesus, he tells us, is that they will know that I sent them by them being one. First right? Peter 3, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. We're supposed to love. Right? And the love that we have for one another in this community even in the people around us, reflects the unity and the love that God has for us. Right? And lastly, I'll close with this, is we're united in purpose. God has a purpose for us. It's not a function, right? but it stems for our oneness, from our oneness with Jesus and with each other. He defined eternal life for us to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he had sent. Our common bond starts from this, for us to know Jesus. I talked about relationship and function earlier. Our function must be a byproduct of the relationship we have in Him and knowing Him and not the other way around. We don't function to be in a relationship with Him. I did that for many years of my life. I functioned so that I can be in a relationship with God. And if I didn't function correctly, I felt like I wasn't in a relationship. We treat it like a human relationship, right? I do nice things for my girlfriend, I'm in a relationship with her. But if I don't do these nice things, she's going to dump me, right? A lot of guys, we've experienced that in our lives, right? But then God is not like that. The function that we do for God doesn't come from anything that we do, but it comes from what He has done for us. 
Because He loved us so greatly. Because that He showers us with so much of His love that He literally hung on a cross and died for our sins. Because of that love, out of that love, we function for Him. And we are united in our process, in our purpose as a people of God to bring God glory with our lives. This is so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Our purpose is to show the world that the Father has sent Jesus and that he is, he is with us and He is in us. And one of the things that we need to be in, to be in order for, for this to happen is we have to be one. We have to be united. There needs to be a oneness among us. To know our God. Not just head knowledge, for, for us to really know Him and to know His love and to know His goodness. It's a, it's a purpose. That's the purpose. Right? Your purpose isn't to do things for God. Your purpose is to know God. Right? And the more you know Him, you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to do this because it's out of my love and my, out of my connection and relationship with Him. Right? We're united in His purpose. Another thing is worship. Right? We're united in worship. When we were all gathered here worshiping today, it was amazing, right? We're all worshiping and we're all, all of us are different. All of us come from different backgrounds. We're all here, but we all have a single focus, which is to worship God. Right? Who's ever been to a, like a, like a secular concert, right? Who's ever been to a concert? My first concert was a U2 concert, right? Like way back in the 90s. I'm really old, right? And when the YouTube comes in, it was crazy because we're all there together. We're all looking at this man with long hair that kind of looks like Jesus. And we're all singing the same song in the name. We all know the lyrics of love. And yet, this is a pale counterfeit of what God, we're going to be doing with God when we're sitting in heaven. We're all together, united, worshiping our God. We get, we, one of the purposes of our lives is to worship God, right? It's, it's one of the purposes of our lives is to worship Him. And when we worship God in spirit and in truth, there's a unity that is born. I felt it today. I looked around. I was like, I don't know these people. I don't know a lot of you. Right? you guys are, some of you guys are new. Right? I've been in Puzan for like a bunch of long time. I don't know a lot of these people. And yet we're together. There's a unity here. You sense it in the spirit. Holy Spirit brings that connection. And we're like, oh, we are one, right? We're one in the Spirit through our purpose. Church, let us not look at church and, and, this, and like the body of Christ as an institution. Let's not look at the church, coming to church as a building or a place or even an event, right? But let's look to church as a relationship. The relationship that, that Jesus said from the beginning is like the Father and me are one, right? That unity that he talks about, I believe that Jesus is praying that for us in heaven right now. He's like, help them to be one. Help them to be united. Help them to realize that there's more in common with them, with each other, than they are different. Right? That we will be one. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Who believes that Jesus is coming back? Do we all believe it here? Right? Do you know that he's coming back for a bride and not brides? Not a polygamist, right? 
He's coming back for one bride. That means we have to be one. We have to be nice. We can't be a bunch of different people. We're like, we're doing it right over here. No, we're doing it right over here. No, we're doing it right over here. We have to be one. We have to learn to connect. We have to learn to be, find that oneness that comes from Jesus Christ. That means we, it doesn't mean that we look inwardly. We have to look upwardly. We have to look at God. As we look more about God and we look, focus more about who Jesus is, we're like, hey, we have more in common than we are different, right? You may do things differently, but we are one in the Spirit. That's what Jesus wants for us. Jesus wants us to be one. I, one of the prayers that I have for this community, right, as you guys are growing, is that, that, like, that you guys will experience a oneness, right? That, that will people, when you guys are out at a restaurant or whatever, and they look at you, and you, they are like, man, something is different about them. There's a unity. There's a love. There's a connectivity that is within them that, that, that makes them stand out. And it's because it's Christ in them, hope of glory. I wanted to end this sermon right now, but I want to actually, like, I want to call you guys out here, right? Because I believe that the church is not Susie, right? And definitely not Susie. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love you, Susie, right? It's not, it's not a pastor. It's not David and Sajang. They did an amazing job for the couples retreat, by the way. Let's give them a hand. Awesome job, right? Blew me away. Did an awesome job, right? The church is not, like, like it's not the leadership. It's not anybody. The church is you guys. The church is everyone sitting here. You guys, this may be your first Sunday. This may be your, like, you've been here for forever. But the church is here in this building.